listening to Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Hello, Victory family. A good and blessed Sunday to each of you who are joining us in this worship service. We hope that you are encouraged with the time of worship and prayer. And uh, we're also praying that you are doing well. And please let us know how we can pray for you. In fact, uh, if you are not doing too well, please go ahead and contact us in pray, and we would love to stand with you in prayer. My name is Pastor Ariel, and I'm one of the pastors of this congregation, and we're happy to see all of you joining us today from different locations. Uh, some of you are from the South, maybe some of you are actually from outside the Philippines, but nonetheless, we'd like to welcome you to our uh, marvelous and fantastic Sunday worship service. All right, you know, there's so much interest about the study of the last days. And, you know, even as I'm going to be talking about the, the final episode or the final installment of our series, uh, you know, there's so much interest in the last days, especially during this time of pandemic. And people are asking, is this it? Is this the last days? By the way, if you missed our short teaching with Pastor Jun Vierte about eschatology or end times, Actually, we've uh, uploaded the video, and it's now available on YouTube, and it's entitled, Are We There Yet? And uh, you can go ahead and look for it uh, in the Victory Alabang, that uh, TV um, uh, portion of uh, YouTube, okay? And definitely, we are in the last days. When we, uh, you know, we are now feeling and uh, going through all this situation, not just in the Philippines, but around the world, yet we don't know exactly when the final curtain will be drawn to a close upon the earth. We are definitely in the last days. You know, our generation is not the only one who was concerned about the last days. Since the first millennium, and even before that, people have been predicting the second coming and the end of days. In fact, it's interesting to notice that most of the viewed movies nowadays on Netflix are like on the apocalyptic uh, themes or the end of days. Movies like 2012 or A Quiet Place, Ark, uh, Cargo, um, what else? Uh, World War Z, Alive, Book of Eli, I Am Legend. These are some of the movies that are somehow depicting the end of days. And as I said earlier, we're now ending the series on future hope, and we will look at what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we hope to answer the questions, what is the day of the Lord? You know, and uh, you know, many people are asking, when Paul referred to that in the Scripture, what is the day of the Lord? And how are we to live in anticipation for the coming of that day? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be reading the first uh, 11 verses of that uh, chapter Verses 1 to 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, as we close our preaching series on future hope today. I'll read from verse 1 from the ESV version. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. I pray that you would give us a clearer picture of how we ought to live during these end times, during these last days, as we prepare in joyful and hopeful anticipation for the coming of the day of the Lord. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word and give your, Lord, give us all your church a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and your plans for us as a people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, when, when Paul was writing this to the church, his purpose was not to scare them, but to give them hope for a bright future. Now, when you talk about the last days, or the day of the Lord, this can actually be a dreadful thing for many people. In fact, for those who do not know the Lord, it could really be scary. But for us, the believers, the church, for those of you who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? This ought to give us hope. The writing of the Apostle Paul ought to give us hope for a future when Jesus Christ returns for His church and ultimately judge everything and rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul was writing this particularly to the church, and we would actually see glimpse when he's addressing and using the pronouns you and we, he's definitely talking about the things that we are to be warned about or be concerned about. But he was also talking about judgment and destruction. And he was obviously not referring to the church when he would use those terms, but he was referring to unbelievers. Because he would use pronouns or terms such as they or them. So there's a complete distinction between the church and the world or the believers and the unbelievers. You know, the Apostle Paul basically is saying that, you know, for us who are believers, for us who are followers of Jesus, guess what? We are safe. But for the others, for those who are outside, they are doomed to destruction. That's why there are things that we need to do, we need to hasten you know, the coming of the Lord by having, having a sense of urgency in preaching the gospel and making disciples because we are the church. We are the children of light. We are the salt and light of the earth. We need to pay attention to these terms so that you know who is talking about and who is talking to. Now, the day of the Lord is not just one single day. Like, for example, today is September 12. It's not just a 24-hour period of time when you talk about the day of the Lord, but it biblically covers a long period of days in the future. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, we don't know, but sometime in the future when the Lord will bring about some pretty incredible events in the course of the history of mankind. Now, how many of you are excited about that? This is one epic history that will happen in the world. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. 
Type that in your chat, chat box, the day of the Lord. It could be interpreted in accordance to uh, different theological views by different people, Christians. Even Christians, the believers, the church have different theological view, views about the day of the Lord. Some would say that it's the rapture of the church. Uh, this is where we, you know, there's no uh, direct use of the word rapture of the church, but we get this from uh, the, the terms to be caught up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. You know, if I may read that, you know, the, the scripture talks about the church. Then we who are alive, we, notice the word we, us, the church, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, some people are talking about that the day of the Lord will be about that event, the rapture. And others are actually talking about the actual second coming of Jesus. It may include the great tribulation, the judgment, the new heaven and the new earth. And so, you know, these are future events. It was Reverend Billy Graham that says, and I would like to quote him, he said, Biblical teaching, okay, biblical teaching is about the second coming of Christ was thought of as a doomsday preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever-brightening beam in a darkening world. Wow. So, you know, for the people of God, the church, this message ought not to be a doomsday prophecy or a doomsday preaching. It is a hopeful preaching. It is something that actually puts us into that plane wherein we could actually see that the world is uh, on its way to perdition if we will not act and go out and reach out to them. Now let's go back to verse 1. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters or brethren in some of the texts, it says, You have no need to have anything written to you. It seems like the Apostle Paul had already given them the details of the second coming. And he was reminding them, he was writing to them, that you had no need anything written to you because I already told you about these things. But yet when you talk about these two things like times and seasons, you know, times, when you look at times in the Bible, in the Greek it means chronos. It's the passage of time. This is where we uh, see the, use the word, chrono, the word chronology. Okay? Uh, the duration of time. And then he also used the word seasons. This somehow talks about the characteristics of a time period. Now, what season are we in now? We need to be aware of what God is doing in our season in our life. When you think of seasons, like for example, uh, winter, spring, summer, or fall. These are seasons. Seasons are actually periods that may come to an end. Seasons begin and they also end and they change. Now, times and seasons, people are so concerned about the time, and all these things will come to an end. Now, for many centuries, many theologians have been trying to compute the exact time when the second coming will take place. This is not something new to all of us. It was Augustine who said that there are people who are constantly calculating all the time when Jesus is coming back, and we call them calculators, okay? They have always, you know, trying, they're trying to figure out, you know, looking at the Scripture, trying to figure out, you know, how many years, how many uh, decades or centuries before the Lord Jesus is coming back. In fact, just to, uh, you know, give you some, uh, some of those who tried to 
claim that they know or have figured out the coming of the Lord. And, you know, there's a lot. There are tons, more than like 50 or maybe 60 prophecies or, or false predictions of people throughout the history of the church that have been trying to predict the second coming of Jesus. You know, some of them, like, for example, in 365 A.D., Hilary of Poitiers, uh, this early French bishop announced that the end of the world would happen during that year, 365 A.D., after Christ uh, went on. April 6, 793, Beatus of Libinia, this Spanish monk, prophesied the second coming of Christ and the end of the world in front of a large crowd of people. Guess what? It did not happen. We're still here. The first millennium, 1000 A.D., Pope Sylvester, not Stallone, okay? Sylvester II, according to several sources, you know, he tried to predict that the end of the world, the second coming, is going to come during the first millennium. And it resulted to a lot of riots, and it occurred in Europe, and pilgrims headed towards Jerusalem. 1658. Guess what? Even explorer, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus tried to claim that the world was created in 5,343 uh, 5, B.C. and it would last 7,000 years based on the scripture, assuming that there's no year zero, according to, you know, like 0 A.D. The, that means that the end of the world would come during that year, 1658. And he was wrong. 1943, Herbert Armstrong, the first of three revised days. He revised it three times, and he had false predictions. It failed time and time again. You know, early, you know, uh, of, of late, recently, you know, I, I, I'm already a Christian during this time. September 13, 1988, Edgar C. Wisenat. We know some of uh, these things. Uh, he wrote and predicted uh, uh, that the second coming will be in 1988. That's why he wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Be in 1988. And guess what? It did not happen. So he revised that book to 89 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Come in 1989. Interesting things. Yet, the reality is, no one really knows. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, when they were asking the Lord before he, was supposed to be, before he was taken up to heaven, after he was resurrected, they came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know, Jesus already told his followers before he left that it's not part of God's plan to tell them the details of the second coming. And, you know, time and time again, Christians, the theologians are trying to figure out the second coming. But Jesus himself said, don't try to figure it out. We're not meant to know the date or even the approximate time because maybe he knew that as sinners, we would not be prepared until the day before he was to come. Maybe you're going to live your life to the fall, you know, living living the law or whatever, okay? So, YOLO, you only live wise, twi uh, once, twice. You only live once, and then maybe after that, if you know the date, then you'll change the day before. In Matthew chapter 24, 36, he also said, concerning that day and an hour, no one knows. Time in the chat box, no one knows. No one knows. No one knows the dates. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We may not know the exact date of the day of the Lord or the second coming, but yet that day is imminent. It means that 
It is close. It's near. It could happen, as I said. It could happen any time. They were trying to anticipate that in the first century. Now we are in the 21st century, and we are still waiting for the day of the Lord. We know that it could happen anytime. It's imminent. Now, my question for us today, and these are my three thoughts, three points. How should we live knowing that the day of the Lord is near? Number one is we need to be vigilant. Vigilant. We need to be vigilant. You know, in, in verse 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, Paul was reminding the Thessalonians, yes, you may not know exactly when it's coming, but you know that it will come like a thief in the night. Jesus' return will be unexpected. Unexpected. You know, no one knows, but yet it will come just like that. Unexpected. When you least expect it to come, it will happen. And the first metaphor that Paul used was a thief. And, you know, when you talk about thieves, the thief is only successful if he breaks into a home where the owner is not expecting to be robbed. Either the owner is away or asleep. You know, as, uh, as the man of the house, I'm the only man in my house. Uh, I have all girls in my home. So every night, it's a habit for me to inspect all the doors of the house if it's locked. You know, even though we uh, live in a gated and guarded community, you don't know when a thief would come because this is the nature of thieves. He will not go into the Viber group of our village and announce, okay, I'm going to go there Friday evening, address is 30 Copa de Oro, okay, I want you to just ready everything uh, because I don't, I don't want to be late and just put it out in the garage so that I don't have to break in your window or your door. You know, no thief will say that. You know, there was a time when we had successful bur successive um, like burglary or robbery cases inside our village. Uh, and uh, somehow, we noticed the uniformity of the cases. You know, different houses in our village have been robbed. And the thief would only take electronic gadgets like cell phone and laptop. Mapili, okay? And so, he would take them. What's interesting is he would take them beside, in, inside the room, like the master's bedroom, the kid's room, and he would not take anything anymore. And somehow it was clean. And so this actually, there was a, like a, a point when, wherein there were like six cases in a month. And people were scared. And so our uh, village admin checked the electronic fence if it's working. And we all decided as a homeowners association to change the security agency. And then the robbery stopped after that. Bottom line is this. Thieves will strike when you least expect it. Be vigilant. Because the second coming, the day of the Lord, is going to come when you least expect it. In fact, in Matthew 24, and Jesus wrote about, and Jesus said this, you know, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 43 says, but, we, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour 
you do not expect. And we see this, that even Jesus himself said these words, the Son of Man is coming when you least expect. But the church, even if we don't know when he will come, ought to be ready. That we ought to be awake when that time comes. Not that you're awake 24-7, literally, but you are awake in the Spirit, having a sense that any time, maybe later, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we don't know. Unexpected. Another thing about His return is His return will also be so sudden. Not only is it unexpected, but it's also going to be sudden. In verse 3 of the same text that we have read earlier, while people are saying there is peace and security, just like in the days of Noah, you know, they're all having their time of their life, there's peace or security, then suddenly, the sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. What's interesting is that the Apostle Paul used several meta- metaphors here. Second, first metaphor he used was a thief. Second metaphor that he used was like a, a woman in labor. You know, suddenly, Jesus will appear without warning. Ready or not, here I come. It's as if he's saying that. No warnings anymore because too many warnings have been given throughout all the centuries and millenniums. There's no more time to change your life or try to get saved or evangelize to others or try to do good. Game over. You know, and this is the metaphor that he used, a pregnant woman giving birth. Moms, you can relate with this. You know, when, when my wife, Shirley, was pregnant with our firstborn, Bea, we were like you know, first-time parents. We, I, as a father, don't know what to do. And, you know, Shirley has been like, you know, going through some, uh, I guess, uh, uh, readings on how to prepare for labor. But though we don't know when the time is coming for the delivery of our firstborn child, we were ready. In fact, we had a small bag in our car with things that Shirley needed for labor just in case the water bag breaks. We are ready to run to the hospital, you know, just in case. Boom, okay? And that ought to be our attitude about the coming of the day of the Lord. We need to be ready. We need to be vigilant. We need to be like a boy scout, lagging handa, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. In the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about you, but this ought to give us excitement and this ought to give us hope. This message of the Apostle Paul is quite encouraging and exhilarating and exciting. Be vigilant, church. Brothers and sisters, let's all be aware that the time of His second coming can be soon. Is this soon? Can be anytime soon. Second point is this. Let's be awake. Be vigilant is the first point. Second is be awake. Or, if I may say, be woke. Be woke. Not just an awareness to sensitive social issues, Issues like you know, climate change or social justice or prejudice or you know, uh, things that are happening around the world. But we need to be woke to the condition of the church, like who we are in Christ. We need to be awake. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul continues to write, you know, but you are not in darkness, brothers, 
for that day to surprise you like a thief. He used the metaphor again of a thief. You know, remember the movie Home Alone? This is one of our favorite movies of all times. You know, every Christmas we watch this as a family. You know, I don't know why this became a Christmas movie. It's about burglary. But, you know, it's so funny because maybe the theme is about Christmas. So many Christmas songs there. But remember young Kevin, you know, in Home Alone? Uh, he heard about the plan of the sticky bandits. And uh, somehow what he did was because he was left alone and his family went, uh, you know, abroad and uh, accidentally left him alone in the house, he prepared his home and made it uh, bandit-proof since he was aware that they were about to strike. He was vigilant. He was awake. He was ready. What Paul is saying here is that the church, us, children of God, should not behave like the world or the unregenerated, or the unbelievers. We should be like the sons of Issachar, who know the signs of the times. In verse 5, it says, For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. There's a uh, uh, major contrast between the people of God and the people of the world. We are the children of light, we are not children of darkness. As believers, we are the sons of light. And I'd like to speak to you, those of you who are joining us watching. You are a child of the light, not a child of the night. Did I get it right? It rhymes. You're a child of the light, not a child of the night. As children, we take on the characteristics, guess what, of our Father of light. He is our Father. And He is the Father of lights, according to James chapter 1, verse 7. We don't belong in darkness. How many of you don't like? I don't like darkness. I always like the light. I love going out. I don't like to go out too much in the sun, but I love you know, to have like natural lighting in the house. I love the light coming into the window during the day. I don't like darkness because somehow that is our new nature now as children of the light. We love the light. In John chapter 18, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the disciples and He said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The light of life. We have the light of life only by the grace of God. We're grateful for the promise of Jesus that we are no longer walking in darkness. You know, people who are in darkness, always stumble and fall and are, you know, always making, uh, are clueless to where they're going because they don't know the way. The path is so dim, you know, there's, it's so dark, you don't know where you're going and they always stumble and fall. But we are children of the light. You know, let your light shine, you know, up, uh, you know for all the world to see and that they may glorify our Heavenly Father. You know, we need to let our light shine and let our light shine to be seen by the world to represent our Heavenly Father with the way we live. In verse 6, then it says, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk, 
are drunk at night. I'm not really sure if this is true in the Philippines. Sometimes people in the Philippines are drunk in the morning. Anyway, so, so the Apostle Paul is saying that when you sleep, you sleep at night unless you work in the call center, okay? But when you get drunk, you get drunk at night. Verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, as a church, as people of God, do not be found sleeping if you're supposed to be awake. There's nothing worse than a security guard sleeping on the job. You know, I believe that God has called His church to be awake during this time. Metaphorically, of course, you know, you can't not sleep. You know, we need sleep, literally. But when you talk about our attitude as a church, when it comes to the, the, the things of God, when it comes to what's happening in the world today, let us be awake and be aware and be alert and be clear-minded. He used the terms, you know, don't, don't be asleep. You don't, you know, don't you know, mumble around, okay? You, know, you, you, you don't get drunk. We ought to be sober-minded. One of the most common ways that we are found asleep is in regards to sin. When we compromise, guess what? When, when the church compromises, when the people of God compromise, that is tantamount to sleeping and getting drunk. We talked about this last week. The Apostle Paul reminded in chapter 4, Pursue holiness. This is the will of God. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Pursue godliness. Because sin will cloud your mind. It will entangle you. It will actually you know, prevent you from pursuing what God's best is for you. Let's not be sleepy when it comes to the things of God. Let's be aware. Let's also not get drunk or intoxicated with the things of the world. You know, I believe that there's so much temptation that's happening in the world. And when we, the children of God, the church, would be entangled with the affairs of the world. That's tantamount to being intoxicated. You know, when you get caught drunk while driving, that's DUI. Driving under the influence. Don't be a DUI. Disciple under influence. Be sober-minded. Don't be drunk. You know, another metaphor that the Apostle Paul used here uh, it's interesting. There's so many metaphors in chapter 5. He used the metaphor of a thief, pregnant woman, and now he's using the metaphor of a soldier, a picture of a soldier by putting on the gear. And what he said was, we need to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. And soldiers are ready for battle in times of war or attack of the enemy. In fact, you know, during the time of war, they sleep wearing their uniform. They don't take it off anymore. They're always in their uniform and they always hold a weapon. Put on faith, the Apostle Paul said. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. In this time of uncertainty, in this time of pandemic, we need to have more faith and believe that our God is a faithful God. Don't let your faith in God wane or be snuffed out. How many of you know that our God is a faithful God? God is always going to be faithful. We need to put our faith in the faithfulness of our faithful God. Let's put on love. And this is the greatest of all virtues. The greatest of all these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. Don't let your love grow cold for other people. Don't let your love grow cold for God. 
Let your love always be on fire. Let your love always be, you know, uh, uh, be passionate and so devoted with God. Put on hope. That's the third thing. Confident expectation of what has not happened yet, but it will. And that's hope. Hope is not something, not saying, uh, sana nga, or, ay nako, I'm just hoping, and I'm just, you know. You know, hope is actually a confident expectation of what is to come, even if it has not happened yet. And guess what? We hope in our salvation. There's a joyful hope knowing that we are saved, that after this life, we're going, with our, we're going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with God. We have a sure hope of our eternal future. And my last point as I land this message is be hopeful. As we end the series on future hope, let us be hopeful. Let's have that confident expectation of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in verses 9 to 10, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. You know, I just thank God. Romans chapter 8 talks about, There's now no more condemnation in Christ. Because Jesus bore the wrath of God. You know, we all know this, that the wages of sin is death. And if we sin, we're bound, and the wrath of God is upon the sinners. But yet, Jesus bore the wrath of God for us already. It's done. He carried it. It enveloped it. It actually covered Him. And that wrath of God crushed Jesus, according to Isaiah. You know, we, we see terms in the Bible such as atonement or in the ESV, I think it's, it, it's called propitiation. Propitiation or atonement means that Jesus removed the wrath of God from us. You know, we, you, we were the target of the wrath of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The wrath of God was removed from us. It was poured on Him. He received all the blows, all the curse, all the wrath of God so that you and I can be saved. For those who are in Christ, the wrath of God has been turned aside. We're no longer destined for wrath, but instead we're destined for eternal life, salvation. And then we see here a sudden change in the use of the words like awake or asleep. You know, before, you know, in the previous verses, the Apostle Paul used the word awake and asleep as referring to how we ought to view our salvation. But now he's using it in the uh, area of life. To be awake is to be literally alive. To be asleep is to be dead. Whether we are alive, what the Bible says, or dead, when Jesus returns, we will live with Him forever. Wow. This gives us so much hope for our eternal life. And also that, you know, my hope is that we get to see all the other believers who have gone ahead of us. You know, I long and I'm looking forward to the day to seeing my son Jerome, to seeing my mom. We will all see Titus again. We will see Tito Panzer. 
We will see Cholo. We will see Atonia Lacanilao. We'll see Tita Feli, Tita Baby, Mami Chen. You know, last night uh, we celebrated the life of uh, Titolito uh, Go, Mami Chen, uh, Irwin de Pomoseno, and many others who have gone to be with the Lord. You know, and you may actually have in your mind a list of people that you know who are Christians, who, have no long, who are no longer with us, but have actually walked with God. And the hope of salvation is that one day we will be with them, together with them in the Lord. Verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And somehow, the Apostle Paul did not want to just leave this into like an end-time thing scenario. But what he's saying is, while waiting, we ought to do something. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up. To encourage means to put courage into someone, especially during these trying times. How many of you need encouragement every day? I do. We have days that we don't feel good. And we need to have new courage put in us. And as a people of God, we need to encourage each other. Because sometimes we can just give up. You know, this is, the, this is where we see the importance of spiritual family. This is where we see one another come in. You know, twice in this verse, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul said one another two times. One another. We need to build up one another. We need to encourage one another. What does that mean to build up one another? And I don't have to expound on all these things, but the remaining verses of chapter 5 talks about this. Paul gave a summary in the next verses. You know, in verse 12, he said, respect your leaders. Respect your elders in the church. Those who have volunteered and given their life for you. Respect them. Honor them. Verse 13 says, be at peace among yourselves. Don't fight. While there's time, reconcile. While there's time, forgive. While there's time, extend a hand of forgiveness and drop all offenses. Don't fight about minor issues like when the day is coming or are you pre-trib, are you uh, post-millennial or are, are you uh, pre-male or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. We're to live at peace among ourselves. Verse 14, he said, admonish the idle, help the weak, those who are lagging behind. Let's just be conscious of them. Guess what? The pace of the church will only be as fast as the last man because we will never leave anyone behind. Encourage the idle. Help the weak. Be patient with all. Verse 14, let's be patient with one another. Let's extend that love and patience that we ourselves don't even deserve. Verse 15, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Sometimes you feel that justice had to, had to be served, that you need to repay what is due you. Guess what? You are not to exact justice. The Bible says, the Lord Himself said, vengeance is mine. Just do good. Always seek to do good. And then in verse 16, he said, Rejoice always, whatever circumstance we're in, rejoice. Verse 17, he said, Pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Pray like, you know, uh, Pastor June Vierte talked about this, that he actually described it like a hacking cough. 
you know, a cough that you have that does not stop, <coughs> like something like that. Pray continuously that it ought to be there. You know, every opportunity you have, whether you're reading the Word, you're meditating, you're praying, you know, guess what? Even while you're driving, you can pray. You don't have to have a certain posture to pray. You can pray in all circumstances. While we're taking a shower, we can pray. While we're eating, we can pray. We can, while we're conversing with our family, we can actually pray for them. Give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. Give thanks, church. Give thanks. Let's thank the Lord. This is God's will for us in Christ. Let's thank the Lord for everything. You know, the fact of the matter is we woke up today with breath in our lungs. And that ought to give us, Lord, thank you so much. I'm alive. I can enjoy life. I can enjoy my family. Yes, we're going through a pandemic. Yes. I understand that. Yes, we've lost loved ones. Yes, I've lost them too. But I can still give thanks. I can thank the Lord for any and everything that He has given to me. Verse 19 talks about do not quench the Spirit of God. Let's be sensitive to the unction and to the moving of the Spirit of God. Do not despise prophecies, verse 20. Verse 21, it says, examine all things. Test everything, if it's right or wrong. He tested, examine it. And then verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. You know, as a conclusion, the day of the Lord really is coming soon. It's imminent. No one knows about it, but it's certain. Even if we're not knowledgeable when it exactly will be. As I end this message, before we pray, I want to share my main point. It's simply this. In light of His coming, let us be vigilant, awake, hopeful. for listening make sure to subscribe and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram feel free to share this message with your friends too for more information about our church visit our website at www.victorialamang.church